Well, friends, if we have not met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be senior pastor at our church. Over 20 years in ministry, there's one thing that I know to be true for certain. It's really the only thing I know. I'm reminded of this one thing weekly, sometimes even daily. Here's the one thing. We have no idea what people are going through. No idea. Just from knowing enough stories from people in our congregation, folks who peel back the curtain just a little bit, there is so much suffering and enduring of all sorts of things. You know, typically when we start a message, I try to have some little cute thing to make you go, ooh, where's he going with this? You know, so today it's a bit of a different flavor. I just want to say very clearly up front that if you are a victim of abuse, uh, violence, assault, or a long list of, of other things, this message is not aimed at your suffering. I'm not here to beat anybody up. You know, the, the word gospel means good news, and I think it's called good news for a reason. My number two strength is positivity. And so I'm not here to beat you up, um, but if you have a burden that you're bearing, again, I want to shout out our care ministers. We have trained folks that are ready to walk alongside you through whatever it is. And so just to give you some tactics, uh, if you want to get in touch with one of our care folks, if you go to carney.church and then you click on this connect tab that's at the top, when you scroll down, you'll see this kind of area for our care ministries. And under pastoral care, it has some details about offering that assistance and support. And if you click on this black button called Get Connected, it will send in a very private and non-public way, it'll, it'll send communication to the right folks who can get you plugged in. And so if you have been a victim, our church can connect you with help, both from within our congregation and uh, to sources outside of it. And so I wanted to start off with sensitivity to what people have gone through, the extent of which we just have no idea. But there's a difference between being a victim and playing the victim. So we're going to take a bit of a turn here. Actual victims need help. When we play the victim, really what we want is excuses. Like my parents, some of my stories, my parents got divorced when I was 17. And as a young person, I could have observed that and had several excellent reasons to go, well, I'm not, never going to get married. I saw how that went. Now, for a period in my life, when I was playing Xbox more than I, more than I should and showering less than I should, <laughs> getting married wasn't really going to be an issue. Okay, but once I got my act together, I think there's a temptation, if you've had something like that modeled for you, to be like, oh, I ain't doing that, or to still engage in, in, a, in a relationship, but not fully, to always be somehow hedging. That kind of self-protection, because you saw how that went. And so at some point, with God's help, I just had to decide that I would take the best things that were modeled for me growing up, and then as for the other stuff, what I had was a great example of what not to do. That's just a, a mindset I had to adopt, or else I would have just stayed in that victim cycle. At some point, each of us has to ask, how much of your story will you let be determined by your circumstances? 
This is what defines characters who played the victim. They're passive and they resign their fate to outside forces. There's a certain pessimism in playing the victim. So here's where I'll get cutesy with you. Think about, think about Eeyore. Well, I guess the refs threw too many penalty flags. <laughs> or even if you don't like uh, Parks and Rec, you've never seen it. April Lud Ludgate is a great example. Just going to have a bad day no matter what happens. That, that expression tells you all you need to know. Or like Luke Skywalker before he comes a Jedi, kind of whiny. I want to go to Tashi Station. It's just kind of a whiner. Or if you've seen the Avengers movies, after they suffer defeat, Thor, here in the bottom right, he like just eats pizza and plays video games all day. That's, that's what he decides to do. So you have this, this superhero playing the victim instead. The victim is one of the four roles in stories that are almost universal. Donald Miller talks about this in his book, Hero on a Mission. And he talks about these four characters as the hero, the villain, the victim, and the guide. So these are framing up the four weeks of this series, the hero and the mission. Donald Miller says in his book that these characters exist in stories because they exist in real life. The victim is the character who feels they have no way out. The villain is the character who makes others small. The hero faces their challenges and transforms. And the guide is the character who helps the hero. Now, a lot of times, both heroes and villains start off as victims, and the difference is how they respond, right? Do they respond nobly or selfishly? A lot of times that defines heroes and villains. Playing the victim, however, involves giving up making any choices. Instead of pursuing good or evil, when we play the victim, we don't pursue anything. Miller says that a victim does not move forward or accept challenges. Instead, a victim gives up because they have come to believe they are doomed. Victims believe they are helpless and so flail until they are rescued. And again, I want to point out the difference between an actual victim who needs help and playing the victim when we're really just wanting excuses. So in this series, we've been using Miller's framework to trace the story of Moses, how he began as a, as a Hebrew, born into slavery but raised in Egypt, and, and, and how Pharaoh, last week we looked at Pharaoh is the villain, creating unspeakable hardship for the Israelites. And now this week we're going to backtrack a bit in the story and take a look at Moses and God's call to go liberate the Hebrews, to, to confront Pharaoh, and how Moses was tempted to play the victim instead of go be the hero. So what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that our excuses can excuse us from God's help. In a very famous scene in the Bible, Moses encounters God in the form of a burning bush. Again, Moses was born a Hebrew into slavery, but his mother uh, made the courageous act of, of helping him escape through putting him in a basket, and Pharaoh's daughter discovers him, draws him out of the water, and he's adopted as an Egyptian. And the Egyptians have been using Hebrews as slave labor for generations, and God is calling Moses to liberate them. God says in Exodus 3, verse 9, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So again, the context of Moses' story is he had fled Egypt after murdering an Egyptian he saw being harsh with the Hebrew. 
So he's ran off to Midian as a fugitive. And we read his first excuse. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? This is what I would call the excuse of identity. Well, who am I? And, and we use our identity or questioning it as an excuse all the time. Well, who am I to talk to someone about Jesus? Or who am I to ask for a raise? Who am I to, to have a hard conversation with my boss? Who am I to try and have an impact in the world? Who am I to, to go back to school? Or who am I to start a new career? Who am I to, to work in kids' ministry? The list could go on and on. And we excuse ourselves because it's easier to make excuses than to take a risk. God tries to reassure Moses, saying in verse 12, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. God's trying to give Moses this vision of the future where he will lead them out of slavery and they'll be back on this, on this mountain together in worship. And despite God's reassurance, Moses' second excuse comes next in verse 13. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So here Moses is questioning by what authority he should speak. And we excuse ourselves with this all the time when we say, well, that's not my place. We can disqualify ourselves from having the authority to speak or act, which is convenient when we would rather not. Now, the phrase God told me to or God sent me does not hold up in court and it's not doing much good for Moses either. He's hesitant to accept this answer God gives him. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. The Hebrew words I am and also the Lord are two forms derived from the same Hebrew verb, which means to be. Now, Hebrew is a very complex language. Um, I took it in seminary. You know what they call a pastor who gets a C in Hebrew? A pastor. Yeah. Uh, it's very complex. It reads from left to right. So I'm not trying to, um, to drown you in, in complicated de details here. But the word or the phrase, I am, is not reused for God in the Old Testament again. But the phrase, the Lord, is used over 5,000 times. And so Yahweh, God's name was looked at and viewed as so holy, it couldn't be spoken. And so the name Yahweh in Hebrew is technically four consonants, and vowels are inserted to make it pronounceable. And it means the one who is or the one who causes to be. It's derived from that Hebrew verb to be. What's important for us today is to, to know that God is telling Moses when he says, well, who sent me? God says, you tell them the one who causes to be sent you. Now, anytime you can speak with the authority of someone else, it's a good thing. I was like this when I was little. This happens with my children. Anytime they get like a message from one parent that they can deliver to the other child, I mean, it, they kind of delight in saying, well, dad said... Or mom said, which means you have to listen to me, right? And, and I don't know if you've been in that situation, but this doesn't do it for Moses. Not even, not even kind of capitalizing on or utilizing the authority of the one who is and, and, and causes to be, that doesn't do it for him. 
We read this in chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Now remember, Moses was raised an Egyptian, so there's no way to tell for sure. But I would imagine he might have been worried about how he would be perceived. Oh, here's Moses, a little late. Had a cushy upbringing in Pharaoh's court, and now our Savior Moses has arrived. Moses is afraid of, his, of, of rejection. Now, anybody who's been to middle school has experienced this. I, I say with dead seriousness, if you can f- survive middle school, you can do anything. I, I ain't kidding. And, 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 and really what I've discovered, you know, I, I did youth ministry for a long time, and I was like, ooh, I get to now work with the grown folks. None of us are really much different than 14-year-olds. Right? We all want to know that we'll be accepted and loved and respected. These needs don't change from the time we're in eighth grade. So Moses is bowing to the fear of rejection, and we do this all the time. Well, what if they think I'm corny, or what if they laugh at my idea in the business meeting, or what if they dismiss me because of my past? So Moses is, is afraid of being rejected, and we talk ourselves into the same thing all the time. And God responds to Moses by saying, well, what's that in your hand? Moses replied, a shepherd's staff. And in this this part of Exodus 4, God goes on to describe many miraculous signs that he will enable Moses to perform with the staff in order for Moses to prove his legitimacy, that he has met with God, that he does speak with power and authority, and that through God's power he won't be rejected. And I think this question that God asked Moses is still relevant to us today. What is that in your hand? Do we tend to focus on what we lack as an excuse? Do we tend to focus on the obstacles in our way? Why not come up with a solution using what we do have at our disposal instead of concentrating on what we lack? What is that in your hand? Even after three different signs in verses 3 through 9 that God describes to Moses, he's still convinced, Moses is, that his weaknesses disqualify him or make him unfit for the task of speaking to Pharaoh on God's authority. And then we see that fear of public speaking is nothing new. This is verse 10. Moses pleaded with the Lord. I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Moses is afraid that he's inadequate. And fear of inadequacy is a massive excuse that everyone experiences from time to time. Right, how many times in life have you thought, well, I can't, I can't start a family, or I can't change careers, I can't be a good parent, I can't make healthier choices, I can't get my finances in order, I can't ask them on a date, I can't go back to school, whatever it might be. We lean on the fear of inadequacy like a crutch to keep on playing the victim. Now God tries to reassure Moses And he's reiterating that he's not on his own. And I think when you read Exodus 3 and 4, what's pretty apparent in my mind is that all God wants is simply for Moses to trust him and take a next step to move forward. Moses is pleading to God as if God didn't already have this information. And God responds as such. Then the Lord asked Moses, well, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. 
Well, Moses has apparently had it. Four different times he's tried to offer an excuse, and now the fifth time he just flat out refuses. He just plain doesn't want to. Exodus 4.13, Lord, please, Moses said, send anyone else. Now, for some of us, this could feel like a life verse. Right? Like if anybody cross stitches, I really would love a little thing to hang up on my wall. <laughs> Exodus 4.13, oh, Lord, send somebody else. And what can't be a fun position to be in, verse 14, says, Then the Lord became angry with Moses. And the Hebrew word for anger is ap, and it's, uh, related, and it's, it's related to the same word for nostril. You ever get so mad at somebody, you start doing this thing? You just kind of flare out. Now you think you remember this in the third quarter when there's some goofy pass interference call. <laughs> And you can impress all your buds. What the Hebrew word is for anger is also nostril. A little nugget for your Super Bowl party tonight. You're, you are welcome. That's where God's at with Moses. He's so mad. He just, all right, God said. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both on what to do. Aaron will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you, and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Now, these are special verses in our family. Uh, my son, he's acolyte today. He just turned nine on Friday, and his name is Aaron. And we chose his name because of these verses. In our prayer since before he was born... Uh, was that Aaron would speak up for God and speak up for other people. That he, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> that's nice. I, yeah. I tell people with regularity, I've never met anybody who loves coming to church more than 1045 here at our church. So this a little, that, these verses are special to us. And, and what we see is that God's provision among many is that Moses won't have to do this alone, that his provision comes in the help of another person, his brother. So we've looked at a boatload of verses this morning. And if y'all have been around for a little bit, you know anytime I get the opportunity to use the Microsoft table function, I, I will do it 100% of the time. So I wanted us to look at the five different excuses Moses offers and to see how God had provision for each of those excuses. God tries to meet Moses in his excuses with help. The excuse of identity. Well, God, who am I to? God says, it's not about your identity, it's about my. I will be with you. You aren't alone. Moses is worried about authority. Well, that's not my place. God says, you tell him the God of your ancestors gives you authority. Moses is worried about being rejected. Well, what if they don't? He's worried about all the, all the things that could go wrong. God says, well, what about the things you do have? What's in your hand? Moses is afraid of being inadequate, but I can't speak. God says, I will tell you what to say. And finally, when Moses refuses, basically saying, I don't want to do this, God's help comes in the form of his brother. Moses tried five different times to refuse God's call, to keep being a victim. I don't speak well. I, who am I? I'm nobody. And what we see is that excuses can excuse us from God's help. 
If Moses had stayed in Midian with his mountain of excuses, maybe God would have devised another way. We don't know. But we do know there was a lot at stake. And so I would invite you to consider, what's at stake in your story? By playing it safe or or just trying to not make any choices, that in itself kind of is a choice. When we play the victim, what is at stake? What help could we be missing out on from God because making an excuse is easier? A pastor, a beloved pastor from our church, Fred Least, he taught my licensing school in 2012. That was like um, kind of pastor boot camp. It was as exciting as you imagine it would be. (laughs) And I remember him saying, let the shape of the text determine the shape of the message. God has some pretty pointed things to say at Moses. Again, I believe this is good news. I'm not here to beat you up. But I think sometimes we find ourselves in Moses' position a lot. And I imagine it's hard for God to help somebody who doesn't want it or need it, who doesn't think they do. I imagine it's hard for God to show someone a next step if they aren't willing to take it. God's provision can come in many forms. We just need the eyes of faith to see it. I want to tell you about my dear friend Paul. Paul was one of the first people I met at my previous church in Platte County because he was the door greeter. Paul served in our Navy many years ago, and while at sea, he was injured. And those injuries eventually resulted in his blindness. Paul had several excellent reasons to play the victim. And for a while in his life, he did. But he has gone on his own heroic journey. This picture is of Paul, and he's receiving an award from the Blinded Veterans Association. He's been an advocate for veterans, for those with disabilities. He's been an incredible servant to his church. He's preached, he's led classes, and he's at the door greeting pretty much every week. Paul has appeared before Congress to speak up for other people. Now that sounds like the call of Moses to me. Paul and I, uh, we're, we're great friends. And, uh, you know, I'd, we'd, we'd meet together. Just for, I'd, We'd kind of make up reasons just to go have coffee or whatever. And there was one time... You know, Paul, he, he, Paul was doing fine before Adam Musto showed up, so he didn't need me. But there was one time, just on the way home, we had ran an errand to Target. You know those giant uh, what, water softener pallet bags? Those things are like 50 pounds. We got to his house, and I was like, hey, if you want, I can, uh, I can help you carry those in. And I could tell that I, that I, really for one of the only times, kind of, I could tell he was a little miffed by that. Like, like I felt bad for him. And, and I was like, oh, man. And then I just said, Paul, I'm not offering to help you because you're blind. I'm offering to help because you're old. <laughs> and then we just laughed. <laughs> I just, I just, I love Paul. I love Paul so much. I miss him so much. Uh, we talk, he calls me, he calls me on Christmas every year. And uh, man, I'll never forget this from Paul. This is what he said. He said that everything changed in his life when he stopped counting what he had lost and started counting what he had left. Oh, I think Paul's witness is so powerful. He loves God so much. And even though he had several excellent reasons to play the victim, he knew that God wasn't done with him yet. 
And so I'm here to tell you from Paul that just like Moses' staff in his right hand, God's grace is not far from you. That I'm not saying you haven't been through a lot, but take stock of what you have left. None of us are beyond God's grace. Our story isn't over. It's not done. It's not too late, and there's nothing you can do to make you too far gone. Friends, let's not let our excuses excuse us from the help that God longs to provide. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the chance to be together and have an appointment with you. God, I don't know what all of us bring here today, but we know that you do. And so in this moment, we bring our burdens and lift them up to you. God, it's my prayer that we would have a beautiful exchange, that we would give you our burdens and even our excuses, and in return, receive your help, to receive your grace in our time of need, however that looks. God, may we leave this place being assured that you go before us, that you will provide for us, and that you do not ever abandon us. God, sometimes it's, it's a lot to think about trying to be more like Jesus. Thank you for witnesses like Paul. Help us to count not just what we've lost, but even more what we have left. God, give us the strength and courage that can only come from you to put away our excuses, to put those down and in their place to receive your help. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.